0: It's Tuesday, June 15th, 2010, and hey, you've got Oz in your ears. This is Peter Bergman on the road for Radio Free Oz, and I'm in the Hello Kitty Main Cathedral of the Church of One Way Light, listening to Pastor Mercer Berther wind up his sermon to the 5,000 One Way Lighters here in the hall.
1: Many of my flock have come up on me and asked, Pastor, How can we be sure that we're real Americans and not a bunch of undocumented parasites like all the not-me's out there? And I say that God has given you more than two punched stone tablets, more than one rosy crosshair, more than a thousand virgins waiting on the wrong side of heaven for themselves. He has given you his most precious seal. He has certified us. And we noose that holy ticket around our necks and
0: hang it proudly twixt our breasts. Pastor uh, uh, Peter Bergman, Radio uh, Free Oz. Hey, you really have the congregation in the palm of your hand.
1: Well, it's where I like to hold him. Him? Uh, uh, no, no, this. This my badge, my birthright, my birth certificate. I hold it very dear.
0: May I read it? Sure. Let's, let's see. It. Hold on. Mercer Berther was born to Luther and Bertha Berther mm-hmm. on July 3rd, 1951, attested by Corliss McClutter, the Redundant Register of Hintville, Arizona.
1: Yes, I'm a Hintville hyena, class of 67. Summer nights under the bleachers with the cheerleaders... Or was it the drum majors? Well, anyway, walk with me through the one-light trade show to my lair. <laughs> the Church of One-Way Light welcomes the North Oklahoma teabag dips and the Phoenix chapter of the fun-famished freeloaders. You're wearing your ticket, so come in and kick it. So, where's yours? Where's my what? Your certificate, pilgrim. Oh, 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 this. No, not your press pass. That's not your American ticket. Any tanned, skin-clean-shaven, wide-hipped terrorist could walk in here with one of those.
0: Well, I don't find it necessary to walk around with my birth certificate hung around my neck, Pastor. Obamanyte. I'm not the president's man.
1: Hey, he ain't the president, because he won't sport a ticket so I don't have to pay him taxes
0: so he can go sleep with Che and Mao.
1: Go easy on him, Lighter. He's a tweenie. Tweenie? Yeah, you're tween, being an idiot and getting a ticket. Down here, you don't wear one of those. They're likely to drag you off and push your ass through the wrong face of the fence.
0: Uh, I saw a lot of uh, soldiers in the cathedral, Pastor. Oh, That's the one-way light brigade.
1: They're not going back to AFPAC until Mr. B. Hussein up there in the White House flashes his membership.
0: And what if he does produce his birth certificate? What then?
1: Well, I'd say that any man who can manipulate the Internet to get elected president is capable of going up there and getting a counterfeit ticket. No, that not me is Kenya-bound. We'll throw away the election, and Senator Dang and
0: Mama Grizzly will take over... And then it's one-way light all the way. This is Peter Bergman for Radio Free Oz, and I'm getting my ticket out of here. Oh Heidi Ho, welcome back to Radio Free Oz. Heidi Ho, I'm in a You're <laughs> up on RadioFreeOz.com or you're podcasting or doing something else very electronic, something that neither of our grandparents. Could even imagine. I'm your co host, Peter Bergman, along with my other co host, David Osman.
1: Well, who's our other co host? Well, Dave? I should have said
0: host, but I said co host. You know, it's an egalitarian time. It's oh, be- my gosh. Talk about
1: egalitarianism. A you, California
0: gone wrong. Absolutely wrong. They, they've done away with partisan uh, primaries. You're no longer having a Republican or a Democratic primary in California.
1: Now, they've done this, the same thing in Washington state. How's it working? Uh I think this is the first time or whatever. I everybody still votes Republican and Democrat. What are you going to do, you know? Yeah, Get but, out there and 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 split your vote. I mean well, what?
0: It, it, I like faction. I'm yeah. with Madison and those people uh or Mustard. Remember what I said <laughs> when my daughter with Alexander Ham sandwich and right. James Mustard you know factions factions keep it cool you know no one no one uh, faction dominates there's all of this contention which is helpful and party is part of that
1: well one thing about california too is it's kind of a mushy state in its politics it's not really right wing it's not really left wing it's sort of institutionalized left and kind of people who live in the agricultural You know, in the center, who say no to everything. Yeah, well, but I'll tell
0: you one thing about California, as they're pointing out, California will never elect a a truly conservative statewide candidate. I mean, they they haven't. the The last one they did, if you can call Pete Wilson conservative, he ran kind of as a liberal, then became a xenophobe after the fact. So, well, no, I mean, Carly Fiona. Well, what, the primary was a
1: week ago, and look what we're dealing with now. Oh, well, my. It was only in a few states around the country. and anyway, way, uh, uh, the lady from Arkansas survived.
0: Blanche, Blanche Lincoln. Lincoln. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, she got through. I, I, she's the one that w- wants to get tough on derivatives, so that's going to help them do that. Now, we're speaking a little bit ahead of ourselves, so they may have already kiboshed it or done something right. Who's to know? Another chapter in why we need the new New Deal. The rate of children living in poverty this year will climb to nearly 22%. That's more than one out of five children living in poverty. I grew up in Shaker Heights, Ohio. I didn't know what poverty was. I went to Yale. I didn't know what poverty was. I've lived on the west side of Los Angeles and never knew what poverty was. But one out of five, a little more than one out of five children in the United States today are growing up in poverty. It's the highest rate in two decades. According to an analysis by the Nonprofit Foundation for Child Development, nearly 17% of children were living in poverty in 2006 before the recession began. I love it, the recession. The worst they get is the double dip recession. That's the closest to D words that they can get to, double dip. Sounds like ice cream, not hard times. It's a depression, bozo, figure it out. The report projects that the percentage of children living in families with an insecure source of food has risen from about 17% in 2007 to nearly 18% in 2010, an increase of 750,000 children. Insecure source of food, not knowing where their next meal is coming from, and these are kids. Up to 500,000 children may be homeless this year, living either in shelters or places not meant for habitation. Oh, my. Judith Palfrey, president of the American Academy of Pediatrics, says family poverty increases many risks for children, yeah, including uh, low birth weight, premature delivery, learning problems, asthma, and other health problems. So not only are you poor or maybe homeless or don't know where your next meal is coming from, but you're probably sicker. But, ah, don't worry, here come the rosy glasses. The Conservative Heritage Foundation's Robert Rector says the index offers little new information. He says the report doesn't mention that poor children's family incomes are supplemented by programs such as food stamps and housing assistance. I quote Robbie. Most of the report is an advertising tool for more government programs and spending, which are pretty ineffective in increasing child well-being, he says. Well, count on that reactionary think tank to put on the rosy glasses. The Heritage Foundation, supported by the great right wing. And all this man can say, I'm sure, by the way, you have to get a steel heart transplant to work for these people. All he can say is... The the report is inconclusive that it doesn't give us any new information. Isn't the old information bad enough, Robbie boy? The recession could wipe out virtually all economic progress for children since the Foundation for Child Development began analyzing data back in 1975. The U.S. Census Bureau says nearly 19% of families with children had incomes below the federal poverty level of $22,025 for a family of four in 2008. That's before taxes. Children could suffer long after the recession ends, Palfrey says. A pregnant woman with poor nutrition is more likely to deliver prematurely, for example, increasing the risk that her child will have medical problems. The consequences of poverty build on themselves, Palfrey says, so that the outcomes can be felt for years to come. Yes, years to come. We have to start getting ourselves together. Enough of this rampant individualism. Enough of this rampant zero-sum game. If I got it, you ain't. Hey, what about... The Commonwealth well, this is good news for for some people and probably shocking news for others. Uh, Food and Drug Administration Advisory Committee Dave will meet soon to consider whether the agency should approve a new emergency contraceptive that study shows is even more effective than Plan B which is the only morning-after pill on the U.S. market. And by the way, it, it, it isn't a spelling error. For a while, I thought morning-after meant you were morning what you did uh, the night, night before. before. But was, no, huh?
1: morning-after. Right? right.
0: So uh, H- HRA Pharma of Paris launched L O one in October of 2009, and sells it in 21 European countries. Probably why the euro is having such a problem. Maybe. As in Europe, it would be available only by prescription in the USA. Plan B, on the other hand, is av- available without a prescription to women 17 and older, but those under 17 require a prescription. It's complicated. Very complicated. Okay. Plan B is approved for use up to 72 hours after unprotected sex. Even within that window, though, it becomes less effective over time. But two company-funded trials involving more than 3,000 women. That's 3,000 sexually unprotected women published in February, found that L01 was consistently effective up to 120 hours, or five days, after unprotected sex.
1: Five days? Five days. My, good. You could have unprotected sex many times over that period. And keep thinking about what you want to do with it. Just take one pill right at the end of the whole session, right? Right? Spend the weekend. Hey, <laughs> go to Aspen for the week. Just take your... So it's not available here yet, though. No, not yet. But I want to say something to you, Mr. <laughs> is French, right? Right. He's French because they love the sex. Here in this country, no one understands this sex. Like the French, you can eat, you can have sex. You can drink, you can have sex. You can have sex, man, you can have sex! It's a wonderful country and I loved it, Bill.
0: I'm on the phone with Andrea Shipley who's the executive director of the Snake River Alliance. And Andrea, it looks like a French company is trying to screw things up there in Idaho. Why don't you tell us about it?
2: Well, you're You're right about that. A French nuclear giant um, called Arriva has um, laid its plans out since um, 2008 to build a uranium enrichment factory outside of Idaho Falls on top of our Snake River Aquifer, which actually supplies drinking water for more than 250,000 Idahoans. So it's a big deal. The thing about uranium enrichment that's unique is that it gives off a kind of nuclear waste that's called depleted uranium. And depleted uranium is a particularly hard to deal with waste because it actually grows in radioactivity over the years. Really? Yes. So it's actually most radioactive in its millionth year. And currently, there's no pathway for disposal, and the Nuclear Regulatory Commission is working right now on creating a rule on how to store or dispose of that of depleted uranium
0: as if they actually knew how by the way it was depleted uranium they believe that was causing all the birth defects in iraq because we were using depleted uranium as part of our part of our shells from the tanks you know that's
2: that's right you know that they're using depleted uranium um for shells and munitions and it's that's a terrible way to take care of our soldiers and, and to, you know, make any kind of national relationships with people. We leave that kind of mess in the wake when we go places.
0: Well, tell me, what is the Snake River Alliance going to do about it?
2: Well, so this is what's happening this summer. Um later this month, we will be having a youth conference and talking about energy. And at the end of that conference, uh, a roadshow, a national youth roadshow called Think Outside the Bomb. It's a group of, of youth organizers who are working towards disarmament are going to be coming through town. And we're going to be going from Boise to Jackson Hole, Pocatello, and we'll be talking about Arriva at each place that we go. And we will also be mobilizing our more than 1,000 members statewide to get to the public meeting for the Nuclear Regulatory Commission's draft environmental impact statement.
0: And when will that That, be happening? When will that?
2: Well, it hasn't been in the nuclear registry yet, but what we hear from the NRC is that that meeting uh, will likely be on August 12th in Idaho Falls. Now, the really outrageous thing about this is even after a letter from our mayor in Boise and more than 200 public comments urging the NRC to have a public meeting somewhere outside of Idaho Falls, like Boise, the NRC is still not going to have a meeting outside of Idaho Falls. So there's only one public meeting on this uranium enrichment factory.
0: How far is the Snake River Alliance willing to go to stop this uh, enrichment plant from becoming a dangerous, or shall I say, deadly reality?
2: You know, the Snake River Alliance has been around for 31 years this year. So we have a legacy of, of... watchdogging and witnessing what happens at the Idaho National Laboratory along with other nuclear developments in the state. The Snake River Alliance will be there, will be steadfast at monitoring what happens there to the best of our abilities and to continue pushing back on these sorts of nuclear developments or what the governor has called you know this nuclear renaissance and it's starting in idaho well we think differently we think there's a better better solution we think clean energy solar biomass geothermal wind conservation and energy efficiency are the best routes to go and that we will never give up on our snake river aquifer.
0: Well thank you Andrea. I just shudder at the at the the spinmanship of nuclear renaissance. We're going to stay on top of this with you. Good luck at the meeting. We'll talk to you soon.
2: Wonderful. Thanks so much.
0: Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Another exciting moment in Wall Street not playing ball. An independent commission investigating the causes of the financial crisis has subpoenaed Goldman Sachs of Crap, claiming the firm has been uncooperative in providing information needed to investigate causes of the 2008 market meltdown. Goldman Sachs of Crap uncooperative? No, say it isn't so. The FCIC's chief complaint appears to be that Goldman has been slow to respond to requests for information. This is no surprise since most of the information is damning. The commission's top two officials said Goldman responds to document requests with large volumes of unindexed records instead of targeted responses to specific questions. These guys, I mean, talk about bad PR. Talk about just blowing it, showing everybody just how deeply involved they are in this muck. Uh, The commission called Goldman's efforts... Quote, deliberate and disruptive and abysmal, unacceptable, likening Goldman's participation to pulling a dump truck up to their office and dumping a bunch of rubbish. Well, just about everything coming out of that concern is rubbish. But the bunch of rubbish that's been dumped on us thus far is those Goldman sachs crap executives who appeared before Congress. When are we going to perp walk those fools? Well, it's time once again for one of my favorite segments of the show because I think it's so local and yet so universal. Here's our our sheriff, Luther Axhandel, with the sheriff's report.
1: Thank you very much. And you know, it's getting more serious out there every day. And I'm talking about a two day span here of events that are completely unbelievable. On Tuesday at one sixteen in the morning, wow, a bark and dog was reported on Lundberg Street and it's an ongoing problem. Well, I want you to keep
0: that in mind. Well, okay? you know some people say that aliens come as dogs. Well, they fly the, they fly spaceships here. Yeah,
1: uh, dog star. I know I know that story. Now at 5:03 in the morning an elderly woman at a senior home in Freeland. She called 911. She didn't need any help. She just wanted to know the time.
0: She called 911 for the time.
1: It was five, using local resources. It 5.03 in the morning. I, yeah. And I, I don't suspect her. I want you to know. But I just thought you'd like to know that item. However, at 9.25 morning in the same day, a chain link fence was stolen sometime over the weekend.
0: Wait a minute. How do you... How do you steal a chain-link fence? We're uh, talking crop
1: circles here, Mr. Bergman. Chain circles? All okay, right. Okay, go now, ahead. Yeah. Same day, 4 or 5 p.m., a caller complained about someone using a trailer as a home on Hawaii Lane. Aliens, Gosh. for sure. They moved in. Where else can they live? There you go. At 428, this is barely not even a half an hour later, Wow. a 50-year-old man with long, curly hair was seen sitting in a transit shelter at Bayview Park and ride and he was drinking beer no called him right into the sheriff's office i can't tell you what aliens
0: they, can't drink you know they get a little alcohol in them and they can destroy a planet
1: well i'm worried about the long curly hair part of that one okay could be a disguise could be a wig you never know now could I, be
0: a hippie alien that's a dangerous combination. i don't even want to think about that well Mr. don't B.
1: now at 5 10 p.m well i don't know what to say about this item same day five ten. A driver in a white Chevy pickup drove into two vehicles in the parking lot at the Freeland Shopping Center and then got out and walked to the drugstore. (laughs) I I just don't know what to make of that one at all, you know. That's really crazy. Well, the next day, I told you this is a two-day event we've had here. On Wednesday the next day at 2.10 in the afternoon, a large oil sheen, nearly a quarter mile long, and seventy-two feet wide was seen off East
0: Point Drive. Well, you know why, of course. They 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 just don't repair the spaceships the way they used to. Those they're they're driving junkers. I got a feeling that one crash landed out there
1: because I know that slick from the Gulf. It ain't reached here yet. <laughs> Maybe by Christmas. Okay, and my, my my final item from the sheriff's report today, and and I think uh, well, this is a sentimental one, and I don't think aliens had anything to do with this, and yet, well, I know what they like. And I feel like I know what they're serious about. And so at 12.48 p.m., a large pot filled with red geraniums was stolen from Bayview Cemetery. Oh. Now, those aliens, I know they like the red flowers. They do hang around, they do hang around the cemeteries because it's quiet at night. You can land your spaceship there.
0: And nobody seems to notice. Well, here I come coughing up another piece of good news. This one out of USA Today, my newspaper. American cigarettes could pack a more toxic punch than foreign brands, say researchers at the U.S. Center for Disease Control and Prevention. Hey, we've done it again. We lead the way. 5% of the population, we consume 25% of the resources. And our cigarettes are deadlier. Yeah! In one of the first studies of its kind, researchers compared the levels of tobacco-specific nitrosamines, a main carcinogenic component of tobacco, in cigarette butts and in smokers from several countries. The result? All cigarettes are not the same. And cigarettes across countries do not deliver the same amount of carcinogens to people. In fact, the amount of tobacco-specific nitrosamines in U.S. brands, get ready, let's have a fanfare, is about triple that of brands from Australia, Canada or the United Kingdom. Nah, yeah, I'm holding my hand a real American coffin nail, not like those wussy European brands. Wow, these spikes killed the Marlboro Man. They're the real thing. Well, cigarette tobacco varies both by manufacturer and where the product is made. For example, American brands use the so-called American Blend Tobacco, which contains higher levels of nitrosamines than cigarettes from Australia, Canada, and the UK, according to the researchers. Yeah, it's really bad tobacco and ever since they're putting filters on tobacco which is forever they've used this awful just crap from from Connecticut they used to grow it out of Virginia and a lot of uh, British cigarettes still use real golden you know Virginia tobacco not the crap we sell on the shelves for now what $8 a pack? Okay, in those countries, we're talking about everybody, but here, cigarettes are made from bright tobacco, which is lighter in color and flu-cured. This process makes cigarettes with lower levels of nitrosamines. If the FDA determines that reducing the level of nitrosamines would be a public health benefit, then it could mandate a change in all tobacco products on the market. Quote, there are two things in the paper that are disturbing to me, said Dr. Norman Edelman, chief medical officer for the American Lung Association. First, it seems as if U.S. smokers get more exposure to this deadly carcinogen than smokers in other countries. Yeah, well, that worries me too, Norm. Uh, Secondly, there is the oblique suggestion that it might be worthwhile to try to reduce the levels of this carcinogen in tobacco smoke. This smacks of suggesting that we make cigarettes safer. However, there are dozens of carcinogens in cigarette smoke. There is no reason to believe that reducing one will make smoking safer. Absolutely true. But wait, let's hear from Philip Morris. David Sutton, a spokesman and spin master for tobacco giant Philip Morris USA, said the funding was not surprising. Wait a minute. I thought that smoking cigarettes was supposed to stunt your growth, and here we've got cigarette giant. Well, let's just let's just go with it and take it on good faith. Let's see what Sutton has to say. He says, "Ah, previous studies have shown global differences in nitrosamine levels due to variations in tobacco blending and curing practices around the world." Said in a statement, "Hey." Is that all you have to say, da- David? Maybe if you tour the cancer wards and hospices and death watch bedrooms where your loyal customers are gasping for life, you might wipe that smarmy smile off your face. Maybe. Hey, you know, if you want to kill them later, you got to go hook them young. Yeah. Here's Camels leading the charge. A recent marketing campaign uh, for the soulless folks at Camels knows that about 80% of smokers take up the habit before age 18 and and they're playing it big time. The ads for Camel Number 9 cigarettes, which ran in magazines such as Vogue, Cosmopolitan, and Glamour, were a hit with girls ages 12 to 16. Oh, congratulations, Camel. So says a study of 1,036 adolescents published online recently in Pediatrics. Okay? Now get this. Promotional giveaways for the new brand. This is Camel's Number 9 which was launched in 2007, included berry-flavored lip balm, cell phone jewelry, purses, and wristbands. This is out-and-out criminal activity. And I say everyone involved, from the amoral ad zombies who dreamed up this perfidy in their vodka-soaked minds, to the 20-somethings passing out the poison, should-be-perp-walked to the Grim Reaper's court, every one of them. David Howard, a spokesman for R.J. Reynolds, which makes Camel, says the ads were aimed at adults noting that 85% of the magazine's readers are over 18. You know, there is a special place in hell for scurrilous liars like Davy Boy, where the specters of the young girls he has condemned blow camel nine smoke in his face for an eternity. And don't think he's getting off light, because researchers at the University College of London have quantified another health risk for those exposed to secondhand smoke, mental health ills. In a study of 8,100 men and women in Scotland, researchers documented a 50% greater risk of psychological distress in non-smokers with the highest levels of nicotine residue in their blood compared with those with the lowest levels. And what's particularly worsen is that for the majority of the population, even transient exposure to secondhand smoke is sufficient to have an effect. Yeah. Mainly, all those kids at home, where their parents, frustrated at work, where they have to cower outside the building in the rain to catch a ciggy, are coming home and lighting up.
3: To say, say what he says, is she says. Monkeys are just lazy. What makes a he-haw matter? Is how those kids, kids swagger. Swag. So, so everybody stagger and show off your band. What's it?
1: It's time once again for our June special event. This is the six weeks of June, right? And it is time for, um, well, what do we call it? The Inside of Your Oz, I think. I like think. that. You like, like that? that. Yeah, the I Inside do. of Your Oz. Theater that happens inside your Oz. And uh, today it's a strange tale of a supermarket cart that seems to have its own mind. Mm-hmm. Script is by Brian Price, and the performer is... Well, yours truly. When I come to the Mart, I was, I was 75 years old. At the time, I hadn't expected to go back to work, but well, I'd owned some Enron, drank a little more than I should. Betty died. Now, my neighbor Fred, he said, y- you ought to go to work at the Mart. It ain't hard get you out of the house. I went down there and I told him I didn't want no indoor job. No, I didn't want nothing to do with being no toothless greeter, smiling, putting stickers on things. I wanted to be outside. Now, I didn't mind. I didn't care about the weather. I wanted to be a cart wrangler. Management didn't think I'd be able to keep up. Heck, was there to keep up with? I can push a shopping cart. I I can push a row of shopping carts just as good as any kid. As a matter of fact, I taught those high school kids a few tricks, how to to balance and ride a cart around a corner, how to make sure a bent basket don't get caught in the middle of a row, how to bend back a bent wheel and do it my way, well, you'd have time for a smoke. Out of the corner of my eye, even on the first day, I noticed there was one cart that wasn't nestled in with the rest. Now you chase it down, roll it on over, line it up, and the next thing you know, why, the cart would be just a little ways off, sitting, sitting there off next to the drinking fountain. Well, next time you look, it'd be, it'd be way out in the parking lot, squeezed between a minivan, SUV, cart 437. Well, it didn't take me long to get a little bit of a reputation. Now, I was the guy who'd go a ways out of his way to get the last cart, and most Mart employees wouldn't bother. They just wanted to go home and get their ears pierced or their butts tattooed. But if there was a cart out there, I was going to go get it and bring it in. Now, I'd be the guy who'd push two or three wayward carts back across the dirt path of the vacant lot next to Kentucky Fry. The little wheels catching and dragging. I'd be the one to bother to check out by the dumpsters. I'd be the guy who'd hike out to the last light pole and make sure none was missing. More often than not, I'd find cart 437 out by the last curb, by the stop sign, facing west toward the interstate. (laughs) Now, come on, 437, I'd say, come on. And I'd gently pull and turn around, and I'd push her back across the lot. Parker squeezed in the middle of a row between a number of sleeping carts. That ought to keep you out of trouble, I'd say. Well, next morning, cart 437 be out by the garden shop next to a plastic wheelbarrow facing west. Now, Dell, the assistant night manager, hey, aren't they almost always named Dell? Well, he said he'd been watching me, he liked my work, and I could look forward to a five-cent-per-hour raise after six months. (laughs) Well, that's 40 cents over an eight-hour day. Big bucks, if it's 1932. (laughs) Of course, the mart never hardly had to hand out those big raises. Most cart wranglers only last two, three months at the most. But me, me, for me, it wasn't about the money. I was prepared to hang on as long as necessary. In the spring, I caught up with cart 437 over by the Hy-Vee grocery store. Our parking lot connected with theirs. A number of our carts were pushed into the drainage dishes or shoved into the bushes by the side of the road. I found out that the bag boys and some produce kids from Hy-Vee were stealing my carts, joyriding and abusing them. I went over there. I went over there on my time. I didn't care if I got paid. I didn't want to make a fuss. Me and the manager of the Hy-Vee, well... We had words. He said, well, he didn't think it was any big deal. The kids playing with the March cards. Boys will be boys. They doesn't mean nothing by it. I said, rustling is rustling, pure and simple. Now, what was he going to do about it? Well, he shrugged his shoulders. He smirked. He looked like that Carl Rove, like, <laughs> like those guys that, that smirk. I'm not a violent man, but I pulled out the pellet gun. I, I got out of sporting goods and shot the Coke machine right next to him. Bam! Just to prove a point. Well, a few nights later, I was bringing in a long line of carts from around the pharmacy entrance. And Dale, hey, if they're not named Dale, they're named Don. Well, Dale said, could he have a word? And I said, I was busy. What did he need? He said, he wanted to give me a piece of advice. So this pasty, overweight, 28-year-old, bolden child with a, with a logo of a rock band tattooed on his forearm was going to give me some advice. Don't take this job so serious, he said. I said, Mr., I take everything serious. I was thinking about cart 437. It rolled somehow uphill around the corner, across the street from the south exit. Now, it's a quarter mile, or more, as the crow flies, Didn't take a brain surgeon to figure Cart 437 was thinking about making a break. (laughs) Dell said he thought it might rain. Did I know there was an opening for greeters? I said I didn't know nothing about that. I went back in the seasonal department, grabbed a banana and a raincoat and started to head on out. Got held up once again by Dell asking me if I knew anything about a goddamn coke machine with a bullet in it. I said I didn't know anything about that neither. Then he made me sweep aisle nine. Then I went on after cart 437. Hmm. Well, it's been six days. I finally caught up at 437 at a gas and go next to strip mall a little west of Easton. Now at first I thought 437 must have got on the, out on the highway there somehow, and rolling along the emergency lanes of the interstates to get this far out, but... Then I realized that the parking lot is like an unbroken inland sea. From the mart to the malls to the mega malls spreading like fjords to the strip malls across the plains. You can get any way you want by going nowhere. I lean on somebody's ford for a moment, light up Marlborough. Flick the match onto an oil stain at my feet. I figure this parking lot might just go all the way around the world. I got cart 437 loaded up with little Debbie's and beer. I got me an extra shirt. So I figure we're gonna have to return to the mart eventually, but it's a cloudless day. We just might take the long way around.
0: College students today show less empathy towards others compared with college students in decades before. So says a study from the University of Michigan. The research finds that college students today show 40 percent less empathy versus students back in the 80s and the 90s. That's a quick and sudden drop. The students are less likely to agree with statements such as I often have tender, concerned feelings for people less fortunate than me, and I sometimes try to understand my friends better by imagining how things look from their perspective. The study did not evaluate why students are less empathetic, but it said that one reason may be that people are having fewer face-to-face interactions, communicating instead through social media, such as Facebook uh, and Twitter. That's quite true, you know. I mean, empathy, as the report says, is best activated when you can see another person's signal for help. Yeah, it's kind of hard to signal for help or with any kind of Homeric depth with 140 spaces. That's um, that's the Twitter coup. That's all you get is 140 spaces. If you're crying for help and it goes over 140 spaces, ah! Michigan graduate student Edward O'Brien, who helped collect data for the study, says the explosion in social networking has caused college students to spend less time with each other. I was in a coffee shop in LA a few months ago, and there were like three or four people standing around. They were within a foot of each other, and they were texting each other on their phones. It was as if they were miles away from each other. There was no intimate social space. O'Brien says, you might spend your night posting on Facebook walls and sending out tweets to hundreds of your online friends, but by doing so, you're also not spending time with real people and gaining valuable interpersonal experience. Well, if people are less empathetic, it has implications for America's aging population because older people will increasingly rely on younger generations for support and care. On the other hand, Claire Rains, author of The Art of Connecting and an expert on generations, says such a study focusing on college students leads to stereotypes of the millennial generation, people born between 1980 and 2000, uh, uh, seeing them as more narcissistic and materialistic, which Rains says isn't necessarily true. She notes that the millennial generation volunteers more than twice as often as Generation X, so they're kind of now Generation 2X. Or people born roughly back there in 1960 and 1980, the beginning of the new old school. They also have better relationships with their parents, she says. Rain says that empathy is declining in all generations and that people may be closing themselves off from others in a response to the increase in the flow of information and bad news. Well, I certainly hope that that I'm not part of that process. I hope that the the dire effect of some of my my perorations doesn't make people close down and become less empathetic. Oh, that that's not exactly what I had in mind, Dave. You it, got one, yeah. I, I can got tell one. by the expression on your face, Peter. Dave, it's not just the picture of beef on a new billboard in North Carolina that tries to catch the driver's attention. It's the aroma coming from the sign. Oh, no. The billboard on North Carolina 150 in central North Carolina emits the smell of black pepper and charcoal, one of my favorite odors. There's a great combination. (laughs) To to promote a new line of beef available at the Bloom grocery chain. Bloom is part of the Salisbury, North Carolina-based Food Lion chain. Who cares? Who cares? The billboard shows a fork piercing a piece of meat. A Bloom spokesman said the billboard will emit scents from 7 a.m. to 10 a.m. and from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. every day until June 18th. Drive time odors, right? They they ah. they, know, they know what. Okay, a high-powered fan at the bottom of the billboard spreads the aroma by blowing what, air. What is this?
1: One guy standing down there <laughs> who likes meat? Hey. Whoosh,
0: whoosh. Have some more. (laughs) No, it's it's a high-powered fan. They they were thinking of, I say hire the guys, you know. Yeah, really. A high-powered fan at the bottom of the billboard spreads the aroma by blowing air over cartridges loaded with fragrance oil. Uh Uh-huh. Well,
1: uh, this is North Carolina. This is the middle of North Carolina. Middle of North Carolina. And I don't want to get
0: statist here and say that it couldn't happen in the middle of New York City. It could absolutely happen
1: in Times Square, man. Remember when they used to blow uh, smoke rings in Times Square?
0: Well, think of it now. This is what? Black pepper and charcoal uh, charcoal to make you think of of, of a fork-piercing meat. I mean, think of all the other combinations of aromas you could emit in order to bring people to a particular place. You know what I'm saying? What about like for like one of those gentlemen clubs? Yeah. Think of the scents you could you, know, you could push out there. Cigars, cigars, and and, and pheromones, body pheromones, sweat. You know yeah, what I mean? Sure, sure. That sort of stuff. And and if you if you were like a big N O P or a you know teabagger, you could you could like send out the scent of fear when you talk about the jackbooted oh, yeah. government people coming to take away your Seventeenth sure, Amendment.
1: Sure, and that would be a good disservice for those people. They could bottle their sense of fear. You know. Yeah. just uh, just
0: get it so it's really powerful
1: like like Chanel number no. 5 you know fear in a bottle f- fear in a bottle and get it out there and let people uh, uh, partake of it. Well, the thing that worries me about this billboard is that this is the beginning. Just the beginning. Okay, and people are scent allergic I want you they to know. They certainly are. And if you know if too many businesses start doing this, I mean the next one is going to have like hand lotion, oh. and, and across the street, I thought you were you, going to say ham lotion, but ham that's, lotion. that's another thought oh, too. You got Cheetos across on the oh, other side no, of the it's, street. You're making
0: me sick. But so, on yes. the other hand, think of this. Think now. This will make the right wing quiver. What if we went with aromatherapy? The peacefulness of lavender. You know what I mean? the 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 open mindedness of bergamot, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. We could turn out a a nation of peaceful, right-thinking, commonwealth-oriented wusses, overnight. Not so long as we got bottled set of fear. More news in the wake of the Tuesday primaries. Seems a lot of teabag dips got put into office. It's going to make it easier for some of the people they're running against if they're extreme enough. And I think in this case, we've got one. The peculiar ideology of Sharon Angle, the Republican nominee challenging Senator Harry Reid in Nevada, is perhaps no better illustrated than by her embrace of the patriot group Oath Keepers, whose membership of uniformed soldiers and police take an oath to refuse orders they see as unconstitutional, including enforcement of gun laws, violation of state sovereignty, and any order to blockade American cities, thus turning them into giant concentration camps. These people call themselves patriots. I don't know. Back in April, Engel told a press gaggle in Washington that she was a member of the Oath Keepers. Now, uh, members of the Oath Keepers have a motto not on our watch. And they take a 10 item oath affirming that they will not, for example, force citizens into detention camps or invade a state that asserts its sovereignty and declares the national government to be in violation. ...of the compact by which the state entered the Union. We're going right back to 1860. This is just insane. The Reed camp is already signaling its plans to paint Angle as an extremist... ...that shouldn't be hard, or even a paranoid. And that shouldn't be hard. By highlighting statements like a recent observation that Americans are afraid... ...they'll have to fight for their liberty in more Second Amendment kinds of ways. I.e., armed resistance. To what? The Oath Keepers are preoccupied with nightmarish visions of U.S. citizens being marched into Nazi-style concentration camps. One part of the Oath Keepers' creed reads, "...such a vile order to forcibly intern Americans without charges or trial would be an act of war against the American people, and thus an act of treason, regardless of the pretext used. We will not commit treason, nor will we facilitate or support it, not on our watch." This this is homegrown American craziness, and it is the bellwether of the time to come. As we go through this great tipping point, as we begin to face not the American century, perhaps, but something very different, there are going to be a lot of Oath Keepers creeping around.
3: Got her hands in her pockets, and she's waiting for a downtown train. Yeah, and the high heeled boots with the straps on low, and her head hanging down in shame. Oh, 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 oh. The wolves all dress up just like sheep, and they go and hit the town. And Sharon never sees them, but they're hanging all around. you see, yeah, I'm tempted by the cherry tree. You'll see, yeah, I'm tempted by the cherry tree. Sweet little cherry got a switchblade, Jimmy, come to take her down in 4th and me. Her mind in a haze of the better days before her body was an ad campaign. And pocketbooks are all that she receives. The dashboard dogs and backseat hogs and down onto her knees. Yeah, I am tempted. I am weak. Yes, I'm too weak to try to speak. Oh no. Yeah. I am I'm tempted, I'm ashamed, yeah, I'm ashamed, and I'm the blame on oh, yeah. you will see, yeah, I'm tempted by the cherry tree You'll see, yeah, I'm tempted by the cherry tree took the last bus home in the middle of the pouring rain She saw the bad boys sleeping and the good girls weeping through the fog on the window panes. Oh, oh, oh But Cherry wants to make it right, but she never has a prayer Cause as long as there are bad boys, there'll be penny millionaires. I am weak, yeah I'm too weak to try to speak no. I am tempted, I'm ashamed yeah, I'm ashamed, and I'm too blame no. You'll see Yeah, I'm tempted by the cherry tree You'll see Yeah, I'm tempted by the cherry tree by
1: cherry tree. Well, let's revisit the fat front, Peter.
2: Oh,
0: yeah. We did some fat stuff uh, recently. Let's go back. Well,
1: this is not exactly P-H-A-T.
0: This is a big issue.
1: Here's the thing. If Americans ate only foods that are advertised on television, Mm -hmm. this is according to a, a new report. Well, maybe they do. If they do, they would consume 25 times the recommended amount of sugar and 20 times the amount of fat they need, but less than half the dairy fiber and fruits and vegetables. That's just the beginning. That's this,
0: just eating the food that is legitimately thrown at you on TV. On television. That's right. it. So just right. watch television, eat what they tell you, and die. They had 800 uh, foods,
1: uh, 3,000 ads that they, that, okay, 2,000 calorie diet. Let's say it's, you make it up only of foods that you you see in commercials, right? Right. Uh, Not only too much cholesterol, saturated fat and salt, but nearly not enough iron, calcium or vitamins A, D and E. And here's the quote from Dr. Mink. Just one advertised food item by itself will provide on average three times your daily recommended servings of sugar and two and a half times your daily recommended servings of fat. That means that
0: one food item Could give you three days worth of sugar. And fat, Dave, let's put those two together. That means if you only ate televised food, right, all your life, you could die three times. You know, here's the thing. None of that food you see on television is actually real. What you get in the
1: box is, mm, you don't want it.
0: Sugar and fat, sugar and fat, what's wrong with that? So we talk about what's going on. It's all very now, 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 as if the world happens on a daily basis. But back in the 7th century, 8th century back there in China, which at the time was, as far as they were concerned, the center of the world, they had a broader perspective. Let's get a little tangy here. Oh, a little
1: tang. This is tu fu. Just spring. Is this what? Just spring? Well, it spring. is just spring. This is what it is. Spring. Okay rivers and mountains in open sunlight, soft winds among flowers and spice plants, swallows packing their nests with mud, ducks basking on warm sand, white birds mirrored in the blue river, red flowers blazing on the green slopes. I watch this rich procession
0: thinking, it's time I went home. Yeah, well, we're all going home, and hopefully tomorrow, whatever that is, you'll be back and you'll have Oz in your ears, made possible by the Oz team. The owner of Blue U and our audio engineer is Dave Maloney. I'm Peter Bergman, your host, David Osman, our co-host, John Cummings, our electronic consultant, Tom Gidwillow does the web, Phil Fountain does the Oz design group that makes it all so swell, Chaz Glass on financials. And our media guru is Scott Wilde, our producer, Bill McIntyre. Catch you soon.